Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation. We have been in the book of Revelation for a few, uh, for several weeks now. This begun as a desire to go through the seven churches, but then we got excited with the book of Revelation, and now we're in chapter 5. And our goal is to go all the way to the end of Revelation, to chapter 22. And obviously, I, I, you know, I feel like I have to make this, well, I don't feel like I have to, but I want to make this disclaimer at least a couple more times. The book of Revelation is a really complicated book. And it's one of the books that has, uh, that people have interpreted in probably the most varied of ways. There are a lot of different views on the book of Revelation. There's only one interpretation. There's only one right interpretation, but it is so difficult that it would be a little cocky for us to say, oh yeah, my interpretation is the ultimate right interpretation. I think I need, I think all of us have to have humility and say, well, you know, I, I'm more inclined to this particular interpretation, but my brothers and sisters who have this interpretation are not, you know, are not dumb. It's not like they don't know how to read their Bibles. They, they also know how to read the Bible. They have studied. They have prayed for the Spirit to reveal these things to them. But in the end, it's just a complicated book. And so we are doing our, our, our best in trying to explain the book of Revelation. But at the same time, we don't want to get bogged down with uh, details of timing, details of, you know, what does this particular figure mean? Not that those things are unimportant, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes we neglect the, the theological and, and beautiful and amazing truths about God, about Christ, about, you know, our salvation that are here in the book of Revelation. And ultimately, this book was written primarily to the seven churches in Asia Minor to encourage them, right? They were going through tribulation. They were going through suffering. They were going through persecution. And John received this revelation from the Lord Jesus to encourage these churches and by extension to encourage the church throughout the ages. So this is mostly a book of encouragement for the church. Uh, So with that said, we're going to read chapter 5, but before we read it, I just wanted to give a brief summary of last week's uh, passage, which was chapter 4. And remember that in chapter 4, we see a throne room, right? We see that John is brought into heaven, and he sees God seated on his throne. And it is just an incredible vision that he has. And, and there are uh, four creatures that are, you know, angels, and, and they're really weird and and they have, you know, different heads. And then there are, there are 24 elders. And all of them are worshiping God. And again, remember that these things are not there to distract us. Rather, they are there to emphasize even more the glory of the one who is seated on the throne, which is the Lord God Almighty. And remember also that we learned that God is holy. God is sovereign above everything else, above all of creation. God is eternal, right? He is the one who is, sorry, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. 
We also learn that he is involved with his creation, right? He is the one who is to come. Even though he created all things and he is so great and almighty, he is intimately associated and related with his creation. We also learned that he is the creator, right? No one else can claim the the authority and the power and the rule that he has because no one else is the creator, right? We were talking about government today and why it is so uh, so heinous and so uh, bothersome to see that people in authority today uh, uh, abuse the power that they have, abuse the authority that they have. And it is so heinous because they are not the creator, because they are not holy. They are humans. They are mortals, just like everyone else. They are sinful. They are not holy like God. They are not eternal. They didn't create the world. They do not sustain the world. But it is absolutely and perfectly right for God to be the sovereign over all of creation, to rule all of creation, all of the universe, to be seated on the throne at the center of the universe because he is all of these things. He is holy. He is eternal. He is creator. He is sustainer of all things. It is by his will that everything exists and that everything was created. So we left with that vision of God's throne and we left with, uh, hopefully, with, with an attitude of worship towards God, towards such a great God. But the vision doesn't stop there. The vision continues, and there's some tension introduced to this vision. So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Revelation 5.1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, a scroll with ten, I'm sorry, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you gave this revelation to John to encourage these seven churches and to encourage us as well, to encourage the church, your people. I pray, God, that you speak to us through your word, that you open our hearts and our minds to understand your word so that we can grow in a, in a deep knowledge of you, that we would get to know your son Jesus more and more, that we would grow in our love for you, that we would grow in our worship of you, and, Lord, that we would be encouraged. That whatever it is that we're going through, whether it be uh, illness, suffering, persecution, um, grief, sorrow, anything that we are going through, Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged by your word in knowing that your son Jesus has conquered, that he was slain for us, that he reigns, that he is at the, uh, that he is seated at the right hand, at your right hand, God. Please guide us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Help me uh, in the words that I'm about to say, Lord, and lead me by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so there is this vision of the throne, and then there is tension introduced. And the tension, the problem here that is introduced is that uh, uh, at the right hand of the throne, at the right hand of God who is seated on the throne, there is a scroll that is written within and on the back, and it is sealed with seven seals. And then it says that an angel with a, might, with a loud voice, a mighty angel with a loud voice, asks, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And the problem is that there was no one there was not a single creature on earth or under the earth or in heaven that was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so it says that John begins uh, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. And so this might seem a little bit weird to us, like, okay, so number one, where is this scroll coming from? What's, what's the deal with the scroll? And why is John weeping? And I believe that he is weeping because 
remember that, that Jesus has just told him that he is going to reveal to him the things that are, the things that will be, you know, the things that, that he, he is going to reveal God's plan for salvation, for redemption, for the world. And he is also, uh, Jesus has brought him up to this heavenly vision and he is seeing the throne and he is seeing everything that is happening, right? Jesus tells him in chapter 4, verse 1, um, I will show you what must take place after this. And so imagine that John is up there and he is seeing this vision, he is seeing the throne, and then the scroll that arguably has everything that is going to take place after this is sealed and there is no one who can open it. There is no one who can look into it. Can you imagine the disappointment, especially after he is the one that is going to deliver this message to the churches? But there is the disappointment that he is not able to open or that no one is able to open the scroll. There is not a single creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And when, whenever you hear that phrase, uh, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, is basically uh, talking about everything, the whole universe. That is, there is not a single creature in the universe that can open this scroll. Now, before we continue, I just want to uh, make sure that we understand or, or at least that we have an idea of what the scroll is. I think there are different uh, views of what the scroll mean. I'm just going to name a few and then I'm going to tell you the one that I actually, that I, that I feel like makes the most sense. Uh, one of the views is that the scroll is the Old Testament. That in the scroll, the, basically all of the Old Testament is written. Uh, I don't think that, that I'm, I'm, I don't particularly uh, agree with that view. Another view is that it is the book of life, right? That is mentioned earlier, uh, later in the book. Uh, another view is that this is a final testament. So it's like a third testament. There is the old, there is the new testament, and then there is a final testament that is written there. And then finally, the view that I think makes, makes more sense to me is that um, in this scroll, it is contained a prophecy about the redemptive and judicial events in world history. In other words, this scroll contains God's plan to redeem, to save the world, and God's plan to judge his enemies. And I think this view makes sense, especially in light of Ezekiel 2, verses 8 through 10. And we're not going to go there, but uh, you can write it down and, and look at afterwards. But in Ezekiel 2, Ezekiel is shown a scroll exactly like this one. It is a scroll that is written on both sides, and he is actually told to eat the scroll. Um, but when he talks about the scroll, it says that the scroll has words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. And so it seems that this scroll is very similar to the one in Ezekiel in that it is a scroll that contains words of lamentation, mourning, and woe, words of judgment. And this becomes even clearer when we, when you go to chapter six and really to the rest of the book. And what do we see there? We see lamentation, mourning, and woe. We see judgment. We see God's judgment upon people. And I think we need to reflect on that for a second. We need to realize that even though chapters four and five, God seated on the throne, Jesus the lamb opening the scroll, even though these Scenes seem so, or, or they are so glorious, and they bring so much hope to us who are in Christ. I think that we need to realize 
that these scenes are preparing the readers to see God's judgment upon his enemies. So this holy God who absolutely loves his people, who has saved his people, who has given his son Jesus for his people, is also the same God who is going to judge those who continue in unrepentance, those who continue to oppress his people, those who are his enemies. So let, let's just keep that in mind as we, as we look into these chapters. Now, John received some good news, right? In verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And I think this is the heart of this particular uh, scene. The heart of it is that Jesus has conquered. This is what the believers in these seven churches, and this is what all of believers need to remember, that Jesus has conquered. That even though they were going through persecution, Jesus has conquered. Even though some of them were already being martyred, Jesus has conquered. Even though at the, at the time, Rome was in control and they were being currently persecuted by Rome. And they had to, uh, oftentimes, they had to choose between compromising and worshiping Caesar or remain faithful to God and face persecution. Jesus has conquered. And that is what we need to remember as well today. That no matter what's going on around in the world, no matter the kind of sufferings that we might be experiencing, the afflictions, Jesus has conquered. That even though our fellow brothers and sisters are being killed in Afghanistan and other parts in the world, Jesus has conquered. That is the truth that we need to remember from this passage. And so these two particular um, images that are used to describe Christ uh, I think we need to pay attention to them. One of them is uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the lion of the tribe of Judah really makes reference to the hope that the people of Israel had all the way back from Genesis 49. Remember when Israel, when Jacob is about to die, and he gives a blessing for each one of his 12 sons. And of Judah, he gives the blessing that he gives to Judah says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. And from that moment on, throughout Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish tradition, the idea that the lion was going to conquer, the idea that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of Judah, and that he was going to be this conquering lion this conquering warrior that was going to come and defeat their enemies was developed. And I think that the, the Jews misunderstood that when Jesus came because they were expecting this conquering warrior that would come and destroy the Romans. And it is not that Jesus didn't conquer. Rather, he conquered in a way that they were not expecting it. They were expecting 
Jesus to have a military conquest. But we're going to learn later that his conquest happened a different way. Also, he is described as the root of David. And this brings us back to Isaiah 11, in which there is a, a description about the Messiah, about Christ, about the Lord Jesus. And it talks about how he will renew the earth. He will reign on the earth. And this will be a, a it talks about this perfect kingdom, right? Is that famous scene of, of the, the little boy, um, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think it's the little boy uh, handling the snake and, and the, the, the sheep uh, next to the wolf. I, sorry, I'm, I'm probably totally butchering this scene, but I, I'm sure you are familiar with this scene in which it is promised that the Messiah will have a worldwide government. And so when John is told that the lion from the tribe of Judah, so he's thinking military, you know, lion conquest, and then the root of David, so he's thinking, this is the king, this is the one who has dominion over all of the earth. And it says that he has conquered. And therefore, because he has conquered, he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, in Revelation, there seems to be a, 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 a distinction between what John hears and what John sees. And in this particular case, John hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the, the root of Jesse, has conquered. But when he turns around, when he looks... What does he see? Verse 9. Sorry, verse 6. In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with, as, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So instead of seeing a lion, instead of seeing a warrior, instead of seeing a conquering uh, military leader or seeing a, a king, right, ruling with his crown and everything, he sees a lamb that is standing there, but it, it, the lamb looks as if it had been slain, as if it had been killed. Yet the lamb is standing and is alive, right? And, and obviously we, we remember the words of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 17, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So the way that Jesus accomplished his victory, the way that Jesus conquered was through his death. He did not conquer through military might. He did not conquer through a physical sword. He conquered through the sword of his mouth. But he conquered through his death. He exerted victory over death, over sin, over Satan by dying on the cross. This is how Jesus, our lamb, has conquered. Now, this is, obviously, this is no ordinary lamb. But we see that he has these uh, seven horns in, in, in uh, 
throughout the Old Testament, throughout uh, prophetic and apocalyptic literature, the horns are a symbol of power and might. Horns are a symbol of, uh, uh, you know, even though he might not have a crown, basically the horns are his crown. And he doesn't have just two horns. He has seven horns. And seven in Revelation is the number of divine perfection. And so Jesus is portrayed as this lamb that is standing, that was slain, but that has perfect rule and authority. That is mighty above everything else. That is completely royal with his, with these seven horns. And then we also see that he has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And so, first of all, the seven, the seven eyes, I believe they indicate his omniscience. He knows everything. There's nothing that can escape his sight. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. Now, we've talked about the seven spirits before and, and, Obviously, it sounds a little bit weird, right? Say, okay, wait a second. Are you saying that there are seven spirits? And no, we're not saying that there are seven spirits. I don't believe that this is saying that there are seven spirits. Again, I think this uh, goes back to Isaiah 11, in which the spirit of God is described in a sevenfold manner, right? The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of might, the spirit of uh, fear of the Lord. And so... This is a way, again, of referring to, uh, uh, to the Holy Spirit as this perfect number seven uh, Spirit of God. And we see that, and, and therefore we see the whole Trinity there in this scene where God is seated on the throne, Jesus is there, the Lamb, and in the imagery of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit is there with him. And so, verse, verse 8 And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And and we're going to stop there for a moment because I want to point out that notice how the prayers of the believers made it into this scene. Do you ever feel like prayer is useless? Do you ever feel like maybe God is not listening? Do you ever, do you ever feel discouraged about prayer? Well, don't be discouraged. The prayers of the saints, the prayers of the believers make it all the way to God. Through your prayers, through our prayers, we are worshiping the Lamb. This is temple imagery here. They're worshiping the Lamb with a harp. They are offering incense uh, in golden bowls. And the, the incense is the prayers of the saints. Of the saints. Our prayers are like incense to God. Our prayers are a good fragrance to God. So don't be discouraged about your prayer life. Or if you struggle in your prayer life, then keep it up. Let's continue to pray to our God because this is how we can worship Him. This is how we can offer incense to Him through our prayers. 
So the elders, the four creatures, and all of the saints, by extension, are worshiping God and are worshiping the Lamb and saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, he conquered by dying on the cross. And his death on the cross, his blood that was shed, was the ransom that was paid for us. By his blood, Jesus ransomed people for God. And so make, make no mistake, this God who is here on the throne, who is getting ready to judge his enemies, is the same God that sent his son Jesus to die and to shed his blood to purchase a people for himself. He is not a mean, unfair God. He is a loving, merciful God. Make no mistake, there is no Old Testament God and New Testament God. He is the same. This perfectly holy and just God is so loving and merciful that gave his son Jesus the lamb so that through his blood, he would redeem people for himself. He would redeem us. And notice, where where are these people from? America? No. They are people, I mean, yes, they are also from America, but they are from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is a completely multicultural crowd. There are believers from all over the world who have been ransomed to God. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for the Jews that come to Christ. Salvation is for Gentiles who come to Christ. Salvation is for everyone. And notice, he saved us. He ransomed people for God. And in verse 10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We belong to God's kingdom. Jesus, the one who conquered, the one who is currently seated at the right hand of God, the one who has already conquered death and sin and Satan, he has made us a kingdom. He has brought us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are members of his kingdom. We are, in fact, there are other passages in which it says that we are kings. Kings and priests to God. 
And because we belong to his kingdom, it is extremely important for us that we live our lives with boldness. It doesn't say that he has conquered and therefore we should retreat into our own homes fleeing from this evil world. No, he made us a kingdom. He wants us to go out boldly advancing his kingdom, proclaiming the gospel. He promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Not because the gates of hell are attacking the church. Gates don't attack. Rather, the church is storming the gates of hell. And so, because Jesus has already conquered through his death, and because he has made us a kingdom, then we should not retreat. We should continue to advance. We should continue to proclaim the gospel because the victory has already been won. But just a, a, just a detail to keep in mind, how did Jesus win? How did he conquer? Through his death. Through his suffering. So how should we be prepared to advance the kingdom? Through our suffering. Through persecution. This is not talking about a military conquest, right? Where the church, you know, grabs all their weapons and, and there we go, you know, either convert or, or, or else. Rather, we advance and we conquer in the same fashion that our king did through suffering, through persecution. We're also priests to our God and, and, Going back to First Peter that Sam read a little earlier. What do priests do? First Peter 2. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So because we are priests to God, it means that we are, our, our job is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Our job is to represent God on earth. Our job is that when people interact with us, they would see God. They would see Christ. That through what we say, what we do, the conversations that we have, that we would represent God and we would proclaim his excellencies. And they, us, shall reign on the earth. And then we see that more and more creatures join in worship, right? At this point, it's just the 24 elders and the four creatures. But we see that worship is contagious because we see in verse 11 that John heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders 
the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The, the number seven is, is really uh, prominent in the book of Revelation. So he is worthy to receive these seven things. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And notice how this, this way in which Jesus is being worshipped resembles the way that God is worshipped in chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So we see here that Christ is being worshipped as God. If you ever run into someone uh, from a cult or someone saying that Jesus is not God, bring him to Revelation. Jesus here is worshipped by all of the heavenly hosts, all of the angels, and he is worshipped as God. But again, it can more and more creatures continue to join And we see in verse 13 that John heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all that is in them saying. And they join and worship God, the Father and the Son to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be worship, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And once again, I just have three implications. I already mentioned all of them, but I just want to remind you of them. One of them is, let us worship Christ. He is worthy to be worshipped. He is God. He gave his life for us. He shed his blood for us. He is the conquering Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb that was slain. Number two, let us be bold. Because Jesus has already conquered. Let us be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Let us live in this world with boldness, not with fear. Not with fear of what's going on in the world. Not with fear with all the crazy things that are happening around us. Jesus already conquered. The victory is already won. Jesus is already seated at the right hand of God. And number three, let us do our priestly duty, which is to proclaim the excellencies of God. That's why we're here. That's why he redeemed, or or that's part of why he redeemed us, so that we would be priests to God, so that we would proclaim the excellencies of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is worthy to open the scroll. We thank you for this amazing vision of your throne in which you are seated there at the center of the universe and you are worshipped. And then The lamb who was slain opens or takes the scroll. He is worthy to open it because he redeemed us by his blood. 
We worship you, God. We give you all the glory and honor. I pray that we would worship you with our lives, with the things that we say, with the things that we do, not just through music, Lord, but with all of our lives that we would worship you. Please give us boldness and help us to accomplish our priestly duty, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.